Okay. All right. So good morning. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I'm always interested in knowing and understanding what's happening with my students. And um, you are both here, Jasmine McLean and Patricia Dixon. Um, Patricia, you just graduated. And yes. Jasmine, you graduated in 2018 and you're in a PhD program at this point. Mm -hmm. So uh, thank you for being here. Today's topic is COVID-19 and um, equity, but given what's been happening, you know, especially last month, right, where we saw a rash of uh, killing of Black people, right, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and most recently, Rashad Brooks. Um, as Black women, um, I, I'm sure you're having some experiences, and I'd like to just mm -hmm. kind of understand how you're land, you know, how you're landing with this. You know, what's happening for mm -hmm. you? How you're taking care of yourselves as well as your children? So, um, the first part is going to focus on um, the COVID-19 part, and the second part is going to focus on what's happening um, with race and racism at this point in our country's history. Um, so I would like to start by just asking you to share with the audience your professional and personal lives, you know, who you are professionally and personally. Jasmine, would you like to start? Sure. Um, my name's Jasmine M. McLean. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Connecticut, and I received both my bachelor's and master's degree in social work from the University of St. Joseph um, in 2016 and 2018. I work as a supervisor for child and adolescence therapists um, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and I am a human sexuality student at Weiner University in Chester, Pennsylvania, where my focus is clinical sex therapy. Thank you. <laughs> Patricia? Um, yes, my name is Patricia Dixon. Um, I actually graduated from Southern Connecticut State University in bachelor's in sociology and criminal justice. And I got my master's from the University of St. Joseph, my master's in social work um, just in 20, this year. <laughs> Um, I work for the State of Connecticut Department of Social Services as a social worker. I actually work with Medicaid applications for the elderly and people, um, children who are disabled. Great. Thank you. You also, you're also a parent, right? Yes, I am also a parent of a four-year-old and a now 17-year-old. Excellent. All right. So my first question is... Um, with COVID-19, how did you experience it as both a student and in your personal life? Patricia, I'm expecting you would be talking a little bit about what it was like for you as a parent as well. So who would like to start first? Jasmine, you want to go? Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think everyone I don't think anyone ever assumed like anything like COVID-19 would happen. Um, and it was such a, it was a transition um, going from, you know, working, at least for me as a therapist, working face to face with clients um, to now doing telehealth. But then also personally where I was going out with friends, I like to go to the gym all the time. And then everything that like all of what I would consider my own like coping skills and my own self care was closed. Um, and so having to be home 
most of the time of the day. Um, and besides working for eight hours, um, then I really didn't have anything to do, especially in the height of it when it was happening at the beginning in Connecticut. Um, and so as things are started open and now I'm kind of for myself grappling with whether or not do I go out and, you know, potentially put myself at risk or do I stay home where I know for sure I'm going to be safe. Um, and then still trying to deal with that. Cause again, all the stuff that I love to do and I enjoy the most is all outside my house. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, Patricia. <laughs> um, I would have to say it was very difficult for me. Um, I had to actually learn how to do self-help, but it was after crying. <laughs> I have a four-year-old and a Six, well, at the time, a 60-year-old and a four-year-old. I was also finishing my master's degree program, and I was also doing my internship at the same time. Mm -hmm. So when COVID-19 hit, um, they basically, it was when they stopped all school in general. They stopped kids from going to elementary school, middle school, high school, all kids had to stay home, that I felt more uh, the burden, not just on myself, but as a parent. Um, my four-year-old, she's in daycare, so she wasn't as hard. Um, it was more of her asking me, why can't she go outside? Why can't she go to Chuck E. Cheese and McDonald's? Um, she wants to see her friends, her classmates. And up to now, it's, it's still not registering with her being four years old that we, we can't go to this place. We can't go to that place. We have to make sure everything's clean first or making up things. Oh, it's closed. Um, for my nephew, my nephew is 17 and he's also special ed. So he's high functioning autistic. And I felt like the schools were not helping me. Um, and then I didn't, I'm not, you know, technology inclined, so I don't know much about technology. So it was hard for me to find out, okay, where he's supposed to go, Google Classroom, um, what, you know, I'm not a chemistry teacher, I'm not a math teacher. Um, so no one was actually checking in on me. No one was, not even the special education teachers. Um, I had a lot of backlash um, from one of the special ed teachers, and I had to actually speak to the principal because you saying you're having a hard time talking to him, but you should already know that he has a hard time communicating. Mm -hmm. And she basically hung up on him. Wow. And that hurt me because then I had to be a parent, a teacher. And at the same time, I was going through my internship where I had to do my internship hours online. And I'm not an online person. So that was hard for me to figure out, okay, how am I supposed to do this online? Did they get it? Did you check it? So for me, COVID-19 was more of, it just hit you. It just hit me right on. It didn't, there was no time frame to like go into it, prepare for it. It was just hit on me. And then I had to try to be you know, a teacher, I had to try to be a mom, then I had to try to figure out how am I gonna, you know, help myself and, you know, talking with, you know, some of my professors, I actually cried. <laughs> I had to let it out because it was, it was bothering, it was straining on me a lot. And I think it wasn't until maybe like a month and a half that I had that Every, I put it on a rotation like to get it there with my kids mm -hmm. and to get it there with my daughter, to get it there with myself. Um, it, it, was, it was a lot of pressure. It was, it was yeah, hard. I do remember that time because <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I was your teacher at that time. And yes. um, yeah, you did. You broke down one day and that's when I realized that you yeah. were really carrying a heavy load. Um, but I didn't realize that it was so difficult with your 17-year-old and that uh, his teacher had hung up the phone. That is unprofessional. It was, it, it, to me, it was. And for a special education teacher that knows the child, you know how this child is. I know how this child is. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, you, you talk to the child, the child is going to be like, just look at you or like, no or they shut down mm -hmm. and you should know how to bring them back up. So for me, it was, you were talking to him and all of a sudden you, you telling me you hung up the phone on him because he was frustrating you. Mm -hmm. Like he's the child and you know, he's 17, but men mentality wise, he's 12 right. and you just shut him down where he didn't have any trust in her at all. So every time if he would, she would call, he didn't want to talk to her. Mm -hmm. Um, we had to resort back to in, in the high school, they have, um, a ninth and 10th grade special ed teacher. And then they have an 11th and 12th grade special ed teacher. We had to go back to our ninth grade special ed teacher mm -hmm. to help us get through this. Mm. And then his speech and language therapist called and I was happy because, you know, he got to voice his opinion and talk to her about what was going on and what was happening. Because mm. you're going from a child that basically in one-on-one -on -one to now he has to talk to you on a phone and look through a phone or a computer and mm. figure things out on his own. So, um, so I just basically became his special education teacher in the end. Um, I just told her, you know what, I will figure this out. And I ended up, you know, we both together figured it out. He was mad at me sometimes because I had him, you know, up at nine o'clock, like you got work to do. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. You're sitting at this table. I'm going to sit at this table. We're going to do this together. <laughs> but it was hard. Then when chemistry came, I had to figure it out. And then I'll email your teacher to see if you did it right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. I, you know, I haven't I mean, done chemistry in forever. <laughs> right. Right. And I can't imagine having to do that. Babysit your four-year-old, yes. focus on doing your capstone for your master's yes. program, <laughs> do wow. your internship. And you were and also working, classes. right? You were also working, working. full time. Yes. Oh <laughs> my God. So it was, it was a circle. It was a, and I, and I told people I never knew that a four-year-old was very needy. <laughs> Are you here all day? Mommy, 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 look at me, look at me, look at me. You're not looking at me. <laughs> I am looking at you. I said, I can see you from the corner of my eye. <laughs> she was like, no, I had to look at her. And she would take my face and go like, you're not looking. <laughs> wow. So wow. it was with that and then dealing with his school, Capstone, schoolwork, internship, um, full-time work. It was, I broke down. <laughs> yes, yes. And um, what, did you get help? I know you said you had to go back to a ninth and 10th grade special yeah. ed teacher, but was there anyone else in your circle that could help or provided help to you? Well, my mom provided help with my daughter. My mom worked. So she, in order, you know, we made, we, she's living with me, but she was getting bored, so she started, started to work at Lowe's. So she works in the flower. She loves planting, so she got a job with the flower in the planting. So she wasn't home. 
um, I was home by myself with them um, until my mom got home. And then she would actually work with my daughter on her schoolwork. Okay. So I'll just be like, you know what? You do whatever you want to do all day. <laughs> but when my mom came home, it was, let's do, she had three books that I bought her three books, kindergarten books. And she started working on those kindergarten books when my mom came home. So as far as during the day, there was just, it was just me. Okay. Um, I mean, I called like some of my friends to see what, what I could do, or some of my classmates actually, um, worked in with special ed. So I will call them to find out, you know, how, what, what do I say or do, um, as far as helping him. So they actually helped me via zoom or on the phone when it came to like his homework and things like that. So, um, I had my, my school, <laughs> and my mom helped and mm. it was more after work though so mm. but during mm. the day it was just me and him <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you for sharing that so jasmine i know that part of your school was not you know on location you you know it was distance learning for some but how did it change or did it change in any way yeah, so just the function and the way the program works, some of it is distance learning, but we would be in class together. And when we are in class together, we do 12 hour days um, wow. on Saturday. And then um, we do I think it's like nine or eight hours on Sunday when we do go to class. Um, and so, but in those, in those, that time that I'm spending in class, um, a lot of what, uh, yes, I'm learning material, I'm learning it, but all of that is also those relationship skills we're building with our peers um, and hearing their experiences and their specialties. Um, and then I lost all of that when I, when we went to online. So, you know, they would do like Zoom classes, um, you know, FaceTime classes, variation. My professors did try. Um, but it's not the same experience as opposed to sitting in a class with 15 other people and we're talking about where do you work, what do you do, and how do you do that, and what can I apply, or what is this new aspect of, of human sexuality that I don't know that you are so informed about that you can teach me. Um, and so you kind of lose that in considering the field and the field of human sexuality is so small, like you kind of need that and you need those connections in order to learn and to grow more. Mm -hmm. um, and so being distance learning, I think that was like the worst part is that losing that connection I was, I was building and those people I were friends I was making too. Wow. So the relationship wasn't there once you transitioned to online. Mm -hmm. And that's, that it's important, right? And we didn't realize how important it was, but how are you doing now? Are you, you know, have you completed the semester? Were you able to successfully complete it? Yeah, so I, I did finish spring semester. Um, I'm in summer semester. I have two classes now that are completely online. Um, so, in, and the semester was done and it was done well. Um, I will say that in regardless of being distance learning, I do think the hardest part, not just for me, but I think for majority of students is in light of everything going on. So we're dealing with so many crises. We're dealing with COVID. We're dealing with racism and all the systematic killing of really innocent and unfair killing of Black men and women. Um, and so doing all of that, on top of that, a lot of people are dealing with poverty, the fact that they're out of a job due to COVID. Um, and thankfully, I've been blessed that I haven't had to deal with that last crisis. Um, but it's it's not impossible, but it's really hard to go to school and do the best work you can when you're doing all of that. And then I consider other people who are parents who have um, family members and caregivers they have to take with, adding on top of those, it's really hard and it's a real systemic issue. 
Yeah. Um, and it's a problem. Can you tell me a little bit more about how COVID-19 impacted you? Yeah. And your life? Um, so definitely taking away my social support. So my my good friends, um, whether they're coworkers, friends I've met in grad school, um, me, myself personally, my dad is, is sick. And so I am very fearful of accidentally giving him COVID if I were to get it. Um, and with that in mind, I've definitely limited my interactions with people. At this point, I only see people outside. Um, and even then, I'm still six feet apart. <laughs> and we're outside in my backyard if people are coming and friends. Um, but that is something I've had to worry about because I don't want to be the one. And I don't want to have that guilt if I accidentally passed it on to someone, it, whether it's my dad or someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I wonder and I think about other people who their social support is all outside their house. And for whatever reason, they can't get out. And I, I always wonder, are we missing those people? How many of those people are not getting their needs, their social needs met um, because of this? Yeah, yeah, that's a big deal. Well, thank you for that. And Patricia, can you tell me a little bit about how did COVID-19 impact your social life? And, you know, similar to what Jasmine just talked about, I, I got how it impacted your children's education and all that you had to carry, but um, how how did it impact you socially? Um, I would have to say that I miss my coworkers. I say I I miss the social interaction with um, what Jasmine was talking about as far as my coworkers, um, seeing my friends. Um, We do Zoom. We do, we do Zoom also, but it's just still not the same. Mm-hmm. But um, for me, I think it hurt more when my daughter is like, she wants to go here, she wants to go there. Or if I go to the grocery store, I'm explaining to her why she can't come with me. Um, because until I know that she's physically ready to come with me, uh, meaning I practice with her even at home, we practice keeping a mask on your face. If you could keep the mask on your face for this long, then we'll think about it. Um, not touching stuff, not, you know, leaving my side. Um, I, and it kind of hurts because when we do go walking, my daughter's very shy. Mm-hmm. Well, she was shy. But now she's saying hi to everybody. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I was scared of, scared of with her was stranger danger. So it's like, I'm not worried about my socialization. I'm worried about how she's socializing. Because, you know, I, I, you know we're old enough now that, you know, we say hi, we say bye. I miss being with my friends. But at the same time, I'm looking at her and she's saying hi to everybody. Mm-hmm. So I'm going back to teaching her like, okay, you can't say hi to everybody. There's still stranger danger. Um, so it's worrying that when it does open back up, how nice is she going to be to everybody that she sees? Mm-hmm. Um, so. And you think that. Yeah, her saying hi is because she's been cooped up and sheltering in place, and now she wants to say hello to everyone when she goes out. Wow. Yeah, but now she wants to go outside all the time. She's like, where are you? Can I come? Can I come? Can I come? I just want to come with you. And then she, she doesn't come with me. She starts to cry, and then that makes me feel bad because she's still not understanding. Um, We just now... Um, got her cousins to come over because they used to Zoom. So mm-hmm. now when they come in the house, I'm like, take your shoes off, go wash your hands. Like, <laughs> but you know, so just just so she could get that interaction. But again, it's not with friends; it's family. Mm-hmm. 
So she sees them. She knows them. She knows who they are. So when we go, when I did take her out for the first time, she was just saying hi to everybody, even Mm -hmm. through her mask. She kept it on. I was surprised. She kept it on the whole time. She didn't touch anything. She stayed by me, but she was just saying hi to everybody. And that was more concerning with me was like the, the, the socialization skills are going to be out there when they finally go out. And they're not going to realize that it's still stranger danger. Right. That's so. interesting. I think that's something we haven't thought about, you know? Yeah, I thought about it and I was like, wait, she's saying, because she's very shy. Mm-hmm. She, my, my friends, was, she'll look at you sideways like, who is she talking to? Like, <laughs> she will not talk to you. She will not speak to you until she's comfortable with you. Mm-hmm. So now to see her talking to everybody, even when we go through drive through hi, waving. <laughs> And I'm just like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to start teaching her what stranger danger means because mm-hmm. she's being more friendly and more open to just saying hi to everybody. So that was a concern for me with the whole um, isolation and the COVID-19 and socialization. Um, mm-hmm. The 17-year-old could care less. <laughs> He'll tell me, why are you going outside? It's dangerous out there. There's viruses. <laughs> like you just have to wear your mask and just don't touch anything we have this he's like nah i'll stay home he was always the homebody so for him it was just like this doesn't change anything (laughs) but Mm -hmm. um what hurt me more too with him because he's um 17 is he's not getting socialization Mm -hmm. so the friends that he had at school they don't communicate with each other Mm -hmm. so now I'm like okay now we're back to square one where he has to learn how to make friends because he doesn't have any he only has his cousins but that's your cousins so and then they're um 13 and (laughs) 8 so that doesn't help either so I see both just the negative side of for my kids the socialization um for me I still have to go out there and go grocery shopping I still have to do everything get everything for them and things like that so i make sure i mask up got my wife's got everything i don't care if you clean it i'm cleaning it too and <laughs> yeah. you know the distance yeah. and then i'm in groups with my co-workers so we always do you know zoom talks or we try to do zoom happy hours mm-hmm. but it, it's not the same for me um yeah. i miss i miss work i miss going into the office mm-hmm and seeing everybody so so the socialization is a big factor and COVID-19 has impacted has impacted it a lot and even after you've you've find alternative ways to socialize it's still not the same yeah right okay then it, it always brings to me and I think of all the development for kids but also for adults that's being missed because we're all at every point of life stage we're going through we're always still developing but I think of the kids they're losing the social skills they're learning what it means to be a good friend um they're losing all of this yeah. stuff and they're at ages of development where this is the school is it's important for them to do that and they're not learning that and a lot of the learning we know comes outside of just being what you're taught by the teacher it's that um exactly. on the playground it's in a peer it's you know, something being happened. 
And then as a therapist, I always look about, you know, five to 10 years from now, how many of these kids are going to be in some kind of mental health treatment and how did this impact them? Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's no doubt in my mind that 10 to 15 years from now, we will have an influx of one. I think there's going to be an influx of kids um, yeah. that are being born in a couple months. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that's when my, but then that also brings up again, another systemic issue of how many of these people are having kids that they might not be ready for, whether financially, emotionally, emotionally, developmentally, and how is it going to impact these kids that are going to be born in a couple months? And then these kids that are already out already out in the world and existing, how is their lack of development going to impact them? And so I am a firm and adamant believer in 10 to 15 years from now, the mental health field is going to be expanded. Um, lots and yeah. lots of children and adolescents are going to be in treatment. And I am like adamant on that for the sole reason that all this stuff is this environment is happening mm-hmm. and all the things that are happening out there. Yeah, yeah, and they they said to bring that up with education. Um, when we get our emails and things like that, they'll let us know like fifty percent of the kids didn't even go online, have mm-hmm. didn't even check in or do any homework, do any work. So when I heard that, I was like, wow. And then a lot of the um, I was speaking to the special ed teacher, and she said, at least I'm one of those parents that actually gets their kids up to actually do homework because. The kids, she said, she would call them. The kid, eleven o'clock. The kids are still in bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even elementary, some of the kids haven't even logged on to even do any of the homework at all until like wow. the last minute wow. because they did a pass fail and not really a grade. Right. So because of this, I think there's gonna there's going to be a lot of kids passing and they're not mentally ready for it. Mm-hmm. And like Jasmine says, I see an influx of a lot of kids going to therapy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really do. Because mm-hmm. even my daughter, my daughter thinks me and her are best friends. So she'll tell me, mom, you're not my best friend today. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm <laughs> your mother. Probably <laughs> you're like, I'm never- like, you're not my friend today. You're not my best friend today. So I'm like, okay, are you going to be saying this when you go to school? When you don't get your way. <laughs> so that socialization is like very important. Mm-hmm. Like we're adults, so we kind of, get it you know what I mean um I worry about some of my friends who don't have kids who are single who don't really have the support system so I have been checking in with them to make sure you know what are you doing today because they are by themselves um and then also the mentality my daughter's father's in the army Mm -hmm. and he can't come at all um, they told him they could only go within a radius of their station. So for this whole year, my daughter hasn't seen her dad. Oh, wow. So it, so now when he calls or Zoom, she's hiding from him or so mm-hmm. the socialization, it hit not just, you know, us as working parents, as singles, but even military, um, it's, it's hit, it's hit them the worst too, because they can't leave that station at all. If you don't live within, if, he can't go anywhere and they don't know when it's going to be lifted. Um, wow. So for him, he's, he's, he's hurting. He's in North Carolina and he's hurting because he can't see her. He can't mm-hmm. physically, because he comes every Memorial Day weekend and he missed the opportunity for her to come or July 4th or and everything. So yeah. There's going to be like a lot of, we're going to be looking back in a couple of years. And I think there's going to be a lot of disruptive attachment, a lot of bonds that were either not made or that were made and then broken. Um, yeah. as a result of that. Um, and, and as a society, it's, that it, raises the question, are we prepared for that? And are mm-hmm. we ready for that to happen? Um, and what um, do we do for that? 
Yeah, what do you actually? Oh, I was saying. No, go ahead. No, um, I, Hartford is trying to develop a um pilot program, actually task force of social workers who can deal because um they get an influx of domestic violence. Um, they actually the police department actually made a um domestic violence unit, mm-hmm. um because because of you know COVID nineteen, and now they're looking for actual social workers to come into the police department to help out with um talking to the kids and talking to the parents because the police also needs to do their job, but it's the influx of domestic violence that's been skyrocketing um, right. and child abuse. So, right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is not unusual, right? Um, when people yeah. are sheltering in place, mm-hmm. they're constantly with, you know, the, for lack of a better word, the offender or mm-hmm. the abuser in the case of children. So how can we start to think, how can we prepare for what's to come as it relates to more and more children going into therapy? And of course, it sounds like more and more um, victims or survivors of DV will be needing more help. My, my initial thought process is that that's where the social workers, the people in the helping professions, that's where we need them. And that's where we need to start developing, growing. And I do think that in light of all the systematic oppression and inequality out there, I do find and see so many like community activists and so many community organizers. And I, I, I don't know what they're going to do in five to 10 years from now, but I do think that the generation that have, and, and I would consider myself a part of that because I am um, I am only 25 um, but I do think that we are building and and we're trying to make change because I think people are tired of the status quo just kind of letting things happen and let it slide under the bus mm-hmm. um, people are not happy with with what's going on mm-hmm. so social workers have you, you think we can play a, a significant role um, both as therapists but also as organizers mm-hmm. community organizers okay Great. Um, are you, I know you're supervised. You're a supervisor now. But what are some of the things that are coming up for with your staff, um, with families? What are they um, dealing with? Anything that is, yeah, new? The biggest thing I think, not that I think it's new, but it's definitely more prevalent um, and obvious for the families is family conflict for whatever reason. If you already had a disruptive attachment, you already didn't like mom or dad, or if there was an abuser in the house, which unfortunately that happens. um, Now, because of shelter in place, these kids, school was a sanctuary for a lot of kids. Um, And for a lot of parents, it was almost for them because i there's parents who send their kids to school, they do an activity after school, they come home, they eat dinner, do homework, and then they go to bed. And that is a lot of people's lifestyles Monday through Fridays. Um, and that worked for them. And there's, that was what they wanted to do. Um, all of that was taken away. And so now some of these parents went from, you know, parenting for three to four hours a day to now they're parenting literally 24 hours a day, Monday through Friday on the weekends as well. Um, and if there was conflict before, it just became more obvious now. Because instead of you being around this person, you have conflict where two hours a day, you're around them literally 24-7. The only time you're leaving is you're going to bed. 
Um, and so that I think has become so prevalent and so obvious. And that is what I'm hearing constantly when my staff are coming into supervision. They're like, we're having family conflict because this child doesn't like what mom is saying. And we can't, and they're, the constant question is always, um, you know, before this, it's always, well, why don't we advocate they take space? Why don't we suggest they try this coping skill by themselves? But they can't now. Um, and so it, we need to, as a society, develop more effective methods. Wow. Did you want to add to that? No, I say I have to agree with um, Jasmine and what she's saying because um, with, you know, personally with me being home with the kids and things like that, um, like I said, sometimes it's easy to counsel outside than it is to counsel inside. So it was easy for me to talk to my, you know, doing telehealth for my internship to talk to the families about the changes that's going on and that's happening and not realizing that when I go home, it's happening to me. Like, mm -hmm. wow, maybe <laughs> do I, I have to call somebody to say, okay, what, what I need. So um, I think as right now, because of everything that's going on with COVID-19 that because of the socialization skills, domestic violence, the kids um, the kids are home when the parents are home. So now we see exactly what do they do 24 seven. This is what y'all do all day. <laughs> this is what y'all not going to do all day. So, you know, for me, you know, getting my, you know, my master's in social work and, you know, one day getting clinical, it's looking at, you know, making sure I knew about COVID-19 because this is where it's going to start from. So when, you know, they're going to say, when did this happen? It'll be happening from this time period. And I think as social workers, we need to know what's going on. We need to know what's happening inside our home and outside of our home um, in order to help, you know, our clients to move forward. But it takes just a lot of people just to get, to get there. So, yeah get there. Would you say there were some benefits to being at home with your children and sheltering in place? <laughs> benefits? <laughs> I mean, it was it was it was funny because um we were already doing this. Um I in my I'm West Indian so in my in my household every Sunday was church breakfast dinner we were home we were mm -hmm. doing board games we weren't on the like on the weekends um my kids never used the electronics until 12 o'clock unless you were watching cart sun you know saturday morning cartoons and eating breakfast mm -hmm. so and then saturdays would be spent doing you know my daughter's activities ballet and things like that where i would take everybody and say let's go after her ballet we would do something together as a family on saturdays um so i think the only change for was like the monday through friday that's what really changed because I didn't know what to do. <laughs> um, I didn't know, okay, he was done at 12. I was like, okay, well, go do something. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then with my daughter was more, okay, let's go. Cause we, I have a dog. So we would walk the dog every morning. We would walk the dog every night. Um, so it's teaching her more. It was basically just teaching her more habits, how to do this, how to do that. Um, so I don't know if it was really any benefits i mean i was ready for them to go to school um mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but um according to just you know some of my friends they love the idea of they did a lot of family time together um they did board games they did just anything right now you can't go to the store and get a bike i know you can't get a bike you can't <laughs> you get a board game you, you know monopoly is like yeah 
there's <laughs> so, so people are benefiting. They're doing more things people, together. They're building yes. that attachment, Jasmine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, so Jasmine, what would you say are some benefits for you? Um, I'll be honest. <laughs> I like to shop. <laughs> like that, that's always been my weakness. And I can honestly say since Corona started, I've definitely had to limit my shopping. I'm not going to the mall just because I, I have a break and, you know, I don't have a session or my client canceled. I was like, Oh, mall's 25 minutes away. I might as well just go. It's right there. <laughs> I can't do any of that anymore. I'm, I'm home. And so that is one of the benefits, but it's also allowed me the benefits of having more time to be informed. So all of this, um, I was able to like watch TV, not that I watch a lot of TV, but definitely be more informed about the news. I, part of that might also have been a little anxiety, but I knew when Corona (laughs) first happened in Connecticut, I knew all about it. I was telling all my friends, like, I was like, this is the new deal. This is what you guys got to do. I was telling my friends before it became mandatory, like you guys need to wear masks and gloves and get the cleaning supplies. And I had started getting a couple right before they started running out. Um, but, and that might've also been a little anxiety too, but that is what it has allowed me is that a little bit more time to also develop and to learn more. Um, it's time. I, I don't know. I haven't decided yet if I am appreciative of it or if I liked it or not. Um, but it it was there. Um, and I was able to utilize it, but I also acknowledge the fact that some people just weren't able to, and they weren't in the space that they could. Right. So you talked about your your father. Did you say he lives with you? Are you his caretaker? And what is that like? So I'm not his caregiver, but he does live with us. Um, but he, he for several years, has been sick. Um, and so we in our house have been working really, really hard to make it so that we are doing our best to make sure that he stays well, um, regardless of corona. Um, and so I, I'm the person, I, I do the grocery shopping for the most part. I can honestly say since... Connecticut shut down like March 16th or so around that time we start shut down I've been to the grocery store twice um since then um for the sole reason that I don't want to be out where there's lots of people and then potentially catch something um and a lot of the research is showing that people who are younger um and in my age bracket are more likely to be asymptomatic and so to have corona and not have symptoms I didn't want to put myself at risk and be that one Mm -hmm. um and so when I do grocery shop, I go mask, gloves, and actually wipe everything down before I get in the house. If I had delivery, I was actually wiping the bags before they would come to my porch. As soon as they drop it off, I wipe the bags down, take the thing out of the bag, wipe it down again. But again, that also, like I said, a lot of that was probably also anxiety too. (laughs) My own anxiety there. Yeah, yeah, right. So I wanted to take a moment and transition to what's been happening in the environment on top of the coronavirus, as well as everything that we've had to do to adjust to the coronavirus. Um, I I know um, it's been a difficult time for me. Um, I am a mother of a black son. And so it's always very hard when I hear a black man is killed an innocent, particularly an innocent black man is killed, right? Or in any way. But it was very jarring to look at the video and to witness um, George Floyd's last few minutes, nine minutes, right? And I just wanted to check in and see how you guys were doing. How does that land for you? And how are you taking care of yourselves? Well, um, for me, it was, it was basically, it was hard. Um, and it was hard for me to explain.
explain to my children. I would have to say my children because um, I have two nephews and then I have three nieces and my daughter. And I talk to them about race. I've talked to them about, but I had to have the talk, especially with my nephews who are eight and 17 about being black. You're, you're like, I had to, of course the eight year old was like, I'm like black. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, like black. <laughs> mm-hmm. He didn't quite understand because I know, you know, younger, they don't understand race because we're around it. We're around white, we're around black, we're around Puerto Rican, we're around like all cultures. So for him to realize like you are a black man. Okay. And to have to talk to them about the police, and about racism and about, you know, what could happen to you, that kind of hurt me because I'm looking at my nephew, you know, he's basically my son, you're 17, and I told him, you're about to be 18. Not just, not, not the fact that you're just black, you're a black male and you're autistic. Mm-hmm. Okay? So if a cop stops you, I have to, it's not just telling him, you know, what to do and what not to do. I have to show him and literally explain to him and keep explaining to him what to do and what not to do because I know how he's going to get. So wow, that has to like yeah, that has to be very difficult. (laughs) It was, and I had to explain because he shuts down. Mm -hmm. So I'm explaining to him what might happen to you when you shut down and what might not happen when you shut down. But all I want you to just keep saying is. I need my one phone call. I need my one phone call. Don't fight. Don't do anything. Um, and it's not just, you know, the George Floyd, it was like, when I watch police, black men being killed and arrested by police officers being stopped all the time just for driving black or just being in an area where you're black and, you know, explaining to, of course, my, my niece is 17 and she was explaining to the eight-year-old that even though you have right friends, the police are going to look at you. Like mm-hmm. she was just being like, not bringing it down to an eight-year-old standard, but she was like being honest and fierce with him. Like, this is the truth. This is what's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they watched it and to understand it, of course, you know, it, it became scary for me. And then look at my nieces and my daughter. I said, everything has to do with race. Because if my my niece or my daughter, let's say, you know, they grow up and I said this to them too, you date a white man, you're going to be scrutinized because you're a black woman dating mm-hmm. a white man and not a black man. Or if you date a black man, you, this is what, you know, you're going to feel. This is what you're going to feel when you're with somebody, you know? And then to hear his last words is calling out to his mom. It was like, I I just felt like, I don't, I don't want to cry, but it felt like I heard my kids saying the same exact thing. Like I have goosebumps, like that actually hurt. Mm-hmm. And then I was reading an article and I was reading it with, with, with all of them about a black man who basically said he can't go walking in his neighborhood without his children or without his little fluffy dog because mm-hmm. somebody might call him because he's the only black man in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So he's not a threat when he's with his children and then a white little fluffy dog, but when he's walking by himself, he feels like 
is a target right on his back. Wow. And wow. I'm thinking of my kids, they're going to always have targets on their back. Mm-hmm. No matter what, you may not know it, but you, you're, you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You go to the grocery store, you're going to have a target on your back. You mm-hmm. go walking down the street, like he said, you're going to have a target on the back. You're going to start driving. They don't care about anything. You're going to have a target on your back. Mm-hmm. Uh, we watched the movie, I think it's um, Mercy. Mm-hmm. That, my niece, I watched it with my niece, and she cried the whole entire time. Like, I had to let her know, like, think about it. We're only in 2020. This was not that long time ago. Mm-hmm. It was not long at all. These mm-hmm. people got free in 2017. Look how many years ago that is. That's right, right around the corner. Okay. Right. I was born in 1978. I said, think about it. I was there. My parents were there. So I'm like, I had to let them know, like, this stuff is not, it's, it's, it's real. It's, it's right mm-hmm. there. It's not long time ago. It's right, right now. Yeah. Right. And you're talking about the movie Just Mercy? Just Mercy, yes. Right, right. And what you described when you saw George Floyd's last few minutes was trauma, right? Mm-hmm. You described being traumatized as a mother and hearing yep. this black man call for his mother in his last few minutes. Mm-hmm. So thanks for like, sharing what his, saying, what his mother is thinking. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like you're yeah. watching your child die right on TV. Not, it's not a movie. This is, it's not a movie. Right. And I think for all of us who are mothers, part of us got killed at that moment, right? We lost, it was a big loss for us. Mm -hmm. Jasmine, did you want to share your thoughts about? Yeah, so, so I, I'll be honest, the George Floyd video was the last one I've allowed myself to watch because I cannot put myself in a good space and, and do and I can't live my life yeah. um, in the in be able to see this every single day. And I acknowledge that there is privilege with that. Um, I acknowledge the fact that that's not everyone can make that choice, and that you know other people are looking and seeing. Other people are seeing it in live when it's happening. Um, but I don't think it's fair. And I've worked hard to dedicate um, my work and knowing that I have that privilege of not being able to or not having to see the videos all the time and but trying to use that privilege in different ways and so as a supervisor my supervisions all the time with my staff one of the first questions I'm asking them is what are you doing how are you approaching race because America cannot exist America is built on racism there would be no America if it wasn't for racism and therapy could not exist unless we are making an active attempt to be anti-oppressive and to fight Mm-hmm. Um, and we cannot do, there's no way I can address anyone's mental health crisis of not addressing the environment that has put them at risk for a mental health crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is how I've been attempting to utilize my privilege in that way and teaching my staff that. Um, in the sessions, if I, if I am doing a session with a client, that's also the thing I'm also acknowledging and putting out there too. Um, your environment has an impact on you. We, we know theory and research has told us that years over years after time. Um, And I don't think it's right that we are having all this happening. And I think that America needs to make an active change. And it's such a slow change. um, Because just like you said, it's only been a couple years. Realistically, some of these people are still alive. Um, Some of the people who were participating in racist activities, you know, 20, 30 years ago, they've already raised their kids. Some of them might still even have kids Mm -hmm. um, that they're raising. And they may be teaching the same same way and the same Mm -hmm. knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's sad. And it's it's sad. Because 
it there's and I I always struggle to put it into words besides the fact that I am sad and it is traumatizing for everyone yeah absolutely absolutely um I find it um really um hard to think about how do we do a better job as professors to help social work students understand oppression and racism. Um, any ideas that you can share based I, on your experience out there? I suggest to keep teaching it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing we can do but to just educate, 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 only because when the student or the child leaves home or the student and the child leaves the educational system, they have to have a mind of their own. And the only thing that we can do, um, that's what I tell my kids here is I can educate you, but I'm hoping that you can just, when you go out there, that you listen, you listen with your heart, you listen with your mind and you just take what everybody has said to you and put it to work. Um, because there's, there's nothing else we can do unless we educate people on oppression or educate people on racism. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know in college campuses, I know I've taken a class in, um, race and oppression and I think it need, it just needs to keep continuing. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes it may end up being mandatory. Like this is a class that you have to take in order to graduate. Um, and it, I think it doesn't have to start in college. I think it needs to start in middle school mm -hmm. because, of course, in elementary school, kids, they don't really quite understand. They see white, they see black, but they don't really see anything. My daughter, she doesn't see color. You know what I mean? Um, my best friend is white. So her, when she goes to her, her cousin, how I call her, her cousin, you know, she sees her all the time. So she doesn't understand what white, she doesn't understand black. She doesn't understand like what's really going on. But when they hit middle school, you, it just, there's a comprehension there. It's a mm -hmm. comprehension to know that you're black. Um, when you get your hair done, I have to let my daughter know, you, you girl, you black, you, you can't be doing certain stuff, okay? <laughs> so, and I think it, be, it goes in the home, but if it's not taught in the house, it needs to be taught somewhere else. It needs to be taught. Um, mm -hmm. Like Juneteenth, no one, no one knew about this. Like, no one did. Mm -hmm. um, and it did take, and I'm not going to be honest, it took me a while to figure out, okay, what is Juneteenth? And the only reason I know what it is is because I actually watched Blackish. Mm -hmm. And when that episode came out, this was like years ago is when I, when it first came out is when I knew what it was, but then I'm like, why don't we celebrate it? Um, schools, schools do not celebrate black history month. My nephew went to, um, the school up, up here and they didn't have a black history month, like performance, black history month, anything. So when I asked him, you know, you know, what do you know about black history month? It's basically whatever I taught him in the house. Mm -hmm. And I think that, it needs to be taught. It needs to be educated. Mm -hmm. Because if the kids don't stand up for themselves, they're only going to listen to their parent. And if that, that parent is racist or that parent don't understand race or that parent still lives in that bubble, that's what that child is gonna know. They're gonna know only what's in that bubble. And I think as social workers, we need to bring them out of that bubble. We need to communicate to them, educate, educate to them, like what's going on, what's happening. Because again, this is not just new. This is this is not new, and it's just right around the corner that everything happened. Yeah. Okay. So, and we're just just quiet. Just you're just like not taking it anymore. 
And, and as a social worker, I am a firm believer that you cannot call yourself a social worker, whether you have a MSW, a BSW, a DSW, whatever it is. I am a firm believer you cannot call yourself a social worker unless you are against oppression, what, regardless yeah. of what the oppression is, because um, there is oppression everywhere. But if you are a social worker, and, and that's how I, for myself, judge whether or not I say, okay, they're a social worker and they're doing is how are you attempting to fight oppression? And it's going to be in different ways. Some of us yeah. are going to be out there in the streets. Some of us are going to be in policy. Some of us are going to be in a clinic. Um, there's going to be various ways, but you cannot be a social worker unless you are anti-oppression anti and you need to be working towards it and doing it. And maybe mm -hmm. as a as a social worker and as programs, they should be looking at that. Are you asking your students? Um, are your students required to do an anti-oppression um, activity or project as a graduation requirement? Are you teaching that in a course? Um, are they required to take this anti-oppression course? And those are the kind of things, there's different ways that it can be developed and go, but you cannot, I'm a firm believer, like I said, and that is one of the values of social work. And if we're following our code of ethics is that you need to be against oppression. And there is lots of it, whether we're talking about racism, whether we're talking about um, being a woman in society and, you know, oppression of just re regarding your gender, whether we're talking, gender is a whole different thing anyway. Yeah. Um, so there is oppression there and we as social workers need to be addressing it. And like I said, you cannot be a social worker unless you are trying to address it in some way and you're trying yeah. to change. Yeah. So yeah, the value of social justice is one of our values or core values. But how does that get translated into anti-racist work, right? How does that get incorporated as in the social work um, practice uh, is, is going to be the challenge moving forward? Um, there are people who are, have a difficult time listening about issues related to race and racism. And some of those people are black, you know? Um, so it's going to be interesting going forward. So um, let me ask you, how did you learn that you were black? Do you, could you go back that far? Um, what, what, what was it like for you? Um, now, I know, Patricia, you're coming from another country, right? Or were you yeah. born here? Okay. I was, I was born in Jamaica. So I was born okay. and raised. I came up here when I was probably nine. Um, so I already knew about culture. And it was crazy. <laughs> I'm 42. <laughs> so just so Jasmine can know. Um, so when growing up, all I knew was West Indian culture. Mm -hmm. All I knew. Ate West Indian culture, went to bed, woke up. Everything was my West Indian culture. Mm -hmm. I grew up around, um, I lived in Hartford basically my whole entire life. And Hartford, as people know, Hartford, Connecticut is basically West Indian culture. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really know much about other cultures until I moved out of my house. Um, in college. So I went to college down south first. I went to Virginia Union University and they had soul food. <laughs> I didn't know nothing about soul food. <laughs> I was like, what is grits? What is, you know, they had the bacon, the grits, the eggs, the pancakes, like everything. This was breakfast on campus. So the first time I ate grits, I was just like, oh my gosh. So it took me a while to realize that there were other cultures when I went to college. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, than, than my own. And I ended up learning more about Italians. Um, they like to feed you all the time. Like I thought they were feeding me because they, I was skinny. <laughs> no, they were feeding me because that's their culture. They love to feed you. They just feed, give you food, give you food, take home food. And I was like, oh, okay. So for me, it, I didn't realize anything. I knew who I was. I knew I was black. I knew I was West Indian, but I didn't know about any other culture till I went to college. And then that was like a shock to me. And it's not just my culture. I have to say there's West Indian culture and then there's American black culture. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to understand American black culture um, that was way different than my own. Um, I had a roommate who's from New York. So I was like, wait, who is this? <laughs> She was like tough. She was like, don't take jokes. So it was, again, it was, it was college that I knew basically who I really was and um, the cult- other cultures around me that was, that was going on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Jasmine? I, it definitely started early childhood. I wish I could say like I knew a specific age, um, but I would always hear from my cousins um, and we're very close knit family, always spend time with my cousins. Um, they'd always say, Jasmine, you're so white or you're so like, you're just like the white people or something of that variation. Um, and I always understood that to mean um, that I was, and I understand it now to mean I was privileged um, and I acknowledge there's privilege and everyone has some. And so I, for about three, four years, I went to a private Christian school. Um, so there was that privilege there. And when I was there, it was actually, I could say it was a K through 12 school. There was about 10 black kids outside of me and my sisters, because um, all three of us went. Um, and so I knew there was privilege there. Um, I, my mom worked really hard to make sure we were able to do activities, whether it was sports, I was in drama club and stuff like that, all of that, that cost money. Um, and so I always thought like, you know, my mom worked hard to do that and my cousins were not able to, their family did not have the finances. So I always attribute being white to, you know, privilege or having more money. Um, it wasn't, I can honestly say it wasn't until, um, I got to college and that I realized that, you know, one, that was a slur and that wasn't, that wasn't appropriate, um, the comments that were being made, but I realized that, that there is a different level, um, and that there, there were some, some concerns that I should have had, and I should have realized it earlier, and should have realized, like, being Black, and, and what comes with being Black, and it wasn't until I got to college, and I met more Black people, and I got involved in a diversity club, that I actually started to realize that, um, Mm -hmm. and I can say, over time, as I've become more interested in social justice, I've been able to identify more ways, and I've been able to see, um, and I'm definitely still learning. Yes, and I think it's important, even as Black people, to understand what social justice and anti-racist work is all about, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you, as we start to wrap things up, how do you take care of yourself in the midst of all this? Mm -hmm. COVID-19 and all that goes with it, as well as all the racist acts that are occurring right now. What are you doing for yourselves? Um, right now, I have been, sometimes I'll walk the dog by myself. So my kids are like, can I walk the dog? No, not, not today. Mommy's going to walk the dog by herself. So I actually take that time in the morning and that time at night. I walk him two times a day because he's old. <laughs> um, <laughs> to walk him and I actually like sit there and just think my own thoughts. Don't worry about the kids. Don't worry about, you know, get out the street, do this, do that. It's like, it's just me and the dog. 
Um, so that's what I've been doing right now um, because the kids are home 24 seven, but I actually take that time out to actually just go, go and walk him by myself sometimes just to meditate and get everything out from, you know, the movies I've watched, the news that I watched, or um, just talking to them about, you know, what's going on, what's happening, why we can't do this, and just try to just be in my own space. So. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, just yeah. a few minutes a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Jasmine? Yeah, so for myself, um, I think, and again, it's only me, is that the best way I take care of myself is to be informed and to staying informed and knowing what's going on, um, but just going in lower doses. So I'm, um, I have my own little personal Twitter that I kind of like check and go on, but I've had to limit like the time I'm going on Twitter because that's where a lot of stuff is going on. A lot of people are finding things out. Um, and so I might check in the morning when I wake up and then right before bed, but I've kind of left it at that. Um, and as I said before, like I, I no longer watch the videos. Um, I stay informed whether it's through the news, um, reading articles or seeing or hearing from other people, but I won't actually watch any videos anymore um, for myself and my own self-care. Yeah. Well, thank you, ladies. If, if you had a f just a message for the audience, what would that be? Uh, mine would probably be do self-care, take care of yourself mentally, because if you don't take care of yourself mentally, your children and other others around you won't take what you're saying, for, they'll take it for granted. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to understand you. So I say just take some time out and just focus on you your mentality and the way you know things that are going on between COVID-19 and the race and racism just take care of yourself first thank you and I would say like a second step on top of taking care of yourself is just being aware of what you have and the energy you have to give but also what you contribute um, so what are you doing to help um, and if you and if you're not doing anything to help stepping back and asking yourself why am I not helping um, because there's a reason you're not, whether it's someone's uncomfortable, whether you just don't know how to help, there's a variety of reasons. And then kind of addressing that barrier. So once you've figured out why you're not doing it, change it so that you actually are doing something. And like I said, you are, people can do it in a variety of ways, whether they're doing it in a therapy session, whether they're, you know, out there activist, being an activist or organizing, there's so many different ways and people just need to find what works for them. Cause it's not the same for everyone. So taking action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. You are both um, resilient and wonderful people. And I'm really happy to have you in my life. But so thank you very much for participating on Inside Out, Outside In. Thank well, thank you, you for having me. Well, sure. having us. It was really a pleasure. <laughs> so yeah. did we take a picture? Can someone take a picture? I did. Oh, you did? Okay. So I, you I have been. <laughs> So um, I'll I'll send you Jasmine's email if that's okay, and yeah. you can you can um, send it to both of us. Yes. Great. Thank you. Thanks, ladies. Okay. Thank you. Bye, Bye, Jasmine. Good luck. Bye. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes. Good luck, and let's stay in touch. Of course. Yeah, um, Jasmine, can she send you um her your phone number in the email too, or yeah, of course. I would love to stay in touch with you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> that sounds good. All right. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.